0: Well, we live possibly in the age of commitment phobia. Are you familiar with that phrase? Commitment phobia? Yes, no, maybe, not sure. Often, this refers to relationships, Um, it's the fear of being involved or committing to a long-term relationship. There's a lot of books written on this subject, I can tell you. Um, I think this phrase was first coined in a book that was written in 1985, called, it was written by two authors, a man and a woman, and they entitled the book, Men Who Can't Love. But apparently there was such an outcry that that title was sexist. And all, all the feminists said, we have this problem as well that they had to rewrite it. And in 19... uh, When was it? 1987? uh, 1997, perhaps. They they rewrote it and they called it He's Scared, She's Scared. (laughs) So, just because they're men, we can do it as well. We've got commitment phobia too. So, men and women suffer from this at times. But it's not just about relationships. Sometimes this commitment phobia can affect people's jobs. Uh, careers, it can affect their lifestyle choices, it can affect uh, how they make decisions in their lives. We've spoken a lot about our modern society's obsession with choice. Most people, I think, assume that lots of choice is a good thing because it's a sign of freedom. But uh, we have looked at this before, actually, at, at times, too much choice is paralyzing. And the issue is that you're, you're standing back thinking, how do I know I've made the right decision? Have I Googled it enough? There might be something that I don't know. And what, what happens is we become dissatisfied with the choice that we do make because we're afraid that maybe around the corner there might be something that we've missed, something better. And it paralyzes us. I think the, the main issue behind commitment phobia of any kind is the sense... That a better offer might come along. And so a commitment phobe is really someone who is just keeping all their options open. Just keeping my options open. Yes, no, maybe. I don't really want to commit. Something better might come. I'm just keeping my options open. This, I think, is massively true in the area of faith. Let me give you a statistic. This, this might uh, shock you. It might take you a moment to just get your head around this. Uh, in one survey, 91% of Americans said that they felt religion was very important in their lives. 91%. But 63% said that they rejected the idea of any kind of absolutes. said religion was important to them. 63% said that they rejected any sort of absolutes. What is that all about? That's like saying, this is really important to me, but I'm not sure whether it's true. (laughs) Do you get that? I'm keeping my options open. It's really important, but I don't know whether I really can believe it. I don't know whether it's true. That's the world we live in, isn't it? And here's a question for you. Is it possible to be a Christian... And to be a commitment-phobe at the same time. How does that fit with the Christ who said, follow me? Well, I will, Lord, but I want to keep my options open. Yes, no, maybe. Might do it tomorrow. Can you be a commitment-phobe and follow Jesus at the same time? Now, I'm I'm not talking about Christians. Sometimes we all have doubts. Doubts anxieties, fears I'm I'm not talking about having doubts we all have doubts at different times but can you be keeping all your options open and following Christ at the same time another trend in our culture is the the idea of self-sufficiency why should I depend on other people if I can do it myself why have the bother of getting entangled with other people and complicating things all the time I'll be a burden to them and they'll be a burden to me. It's better to be a lone ranger. Self-sufficiency. That's another trend in our modern culture. I hear Christians talking like that. It's too complicated. I've had Christians say to me, I'd rather go to Africa and be a missionary in Africa. Do you think people won't know you in Africa? You can't sort of, you know, hide away in a hole. You... You're still going to have to have relationships with people. But they are, I'm obedient to people and they're obedient to me. It's just too hard. Well, we're right in the middle of our series, What Makes a Healthy Church? And you're wondering now where I'm going, aren't you? What makes a healthy church? I want us to think this morning about number six. Number five, is it? No, it's number, it is number six. I've put number five up there. Number six. Uh, church membership well that's an odd thing to talk about isn't it in a series on what makes healthy church given the lone ranger mentality in our culture and the commitment phobia in our culture how can we even dare to talk about church membership in fact is it not a bit elitist and a bit exclusive to talk about some people being in and some people being out you can't talk like that in this modern culture can you, it's open to everyone And you can't make distinctions like that. Well, let's have a little think this morning about church membership. I I have a sneaky feeling that I'm going to say things this morning that are going to make you feel a little bit uncomfortable. But I'm not doing it to make you feel uncomfortable. This really matters and I don't think we always get this right so be on the edge of your seat and bear with me if you're a bit fragile maybe you should put your iPod in or something and listen to something else but uh, this is a massive subject, I'm I'm so glad this is part of our series let's do it as a series of questions again first of all let's ask the question very simply what is a church? it's a good one isn't it what is a church? Well, let's throw it out to you. What is a church? What do you think? Lisa? Somewhere where we come to worship God and Jesus. That's good. Full of people from different walks in life. Excellent. Ian? The people themselves gather together in Jesus name. The church is the people. together. Yeah. And God's Okay, the church is the people who gather together in God's name. Amen to that. Who said that? Tim Philby. It's a, it's a family of Christians, yeah. Any, anyone on this side? It's not a competition you don't have to answer, but they're winning 3-0 at the moment. <laughs> I, agree I agree with Ian, yeah, thank you. Well, you're quite right, that's a draw then, okay. Let me say this, the word church does not describe a building when you think of church I think most of us think steeples, stained glass you might even think of this church which has not particularly got a steeple or stained glass church is like this, it's where we meet the building actually is just the place where the church meets in fact, this church First met here, in this place, in 1924. Do you know what it was called? This building. It was called the Wellgate Meeting Rooms. Isn't that interesting? The Wellgate Meeting Rooms. Why? Because this is where Christians came to meet. It wasn't even called a church. (laughs) Maybe we should go back to that. It sounds very quaint, doesn't it? The Wellgate meeting room, but it's about right that like, this is where the people meet. According to Bible, the Bible, the church is primarily, as Ian said, and as Moira agreed very rightly, yeah, that's what I said. Yeah, that's what he said. The church is a group of people who profess faith in the Lord Jesus. They profess that they've been saved by God's grace through Christ they've been saved but more than professing that they've been saved they give evidence in their lives that their lives have been changed by Jesus that doesn't mean that this group of people or anyone in that group is perfect but they've been saved and they've begun a relationship with Jesus that's a New Testament church people who are Christian believers, who love and follow Jesus. In the Bible, actually, Christians didn't meet in churches. They simply met in people's homes. Do you know, it wasn't until 300 years after the church began that they began to meet in special buildings. No, a church is a group of people who are committed to Jesus and who are committed to one another. Think about Paul's letters in the New Testament to all the different churches he wrote to. He always writes to the saints in a particular place. For example, he says this To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. He's not writing to everyone in Rome, he's writing to those who are saints in Rome. To the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. He's not writing to the unfaithful. He's not just writing to the Paris Council of Ephesus. He's writing to the Christians who are faithful to Jesus. To all the saints in Christ Jesus in Philippi. Together with the overseers and deacons. He's not writing to everyone in Philippi. He's writing to his Christian brothers and sisters in Philippi. And you're either in that group or not in that group, aren't you? He's not writing to everyone. He's writing to the saints, the believers. They were the church in that particular place. This is a church too that meets in the Wellgate meeting rooms. This is a group of Christians who love Jesus and who love one another. And you're either in that group Or you're not. The definition of a church is to be committed to Jesus and to be committed to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, I want to be practical and I want to think for a little bit with you about our local situation here in Rotherham. I have lived in Rotherham now for more than I've not lived in Rotherham. Does that make sense? came here when I was 18, 42 this year. I'm rubbish at maths, but I think that's longer than I lived in Wigan. I like Wigan. I grew up there. I went there yesterday to watch my team play football in the Premier League. I always get a little stressed about football, in. But I love Rotherham. This is our home. Our children have grown up here. But I have to say to you, I find Rotherham an absolute nightmare. When it comes to church. We we are so far. From being healthy churches. It is frightening. And. um, Well. Let me try and explain. And spell out what I mean. I'll give you three headings. I could give you a hundred. That sentence doesn't make sense. I'm sorry external influence that is not accountable what do I mean by that can I I be practical and talk about, I'm going to talk about names and people because it won't make sense otherwise have you you heard of a man called Jacob Prash some of you will have that man has had more negative influence in this town than almost any other man I know I have no extra grind with him But um, Jakob Prash, when you hear him speak, sounds so right. He sounds so authoritative. He seems to understand our modern culture so simply and in such black and white terms. And that's that's important for some people who, who feel this world is so confusing. And when you throw into that a little bit of nonsense about end times... And Jesus coming back, Jesus is coming back, but there's a lot of nonsense talked in Rotherham about that subject. You throw in a few conspiracy theories, and Jacob Prash sounds like a very compelling man. I've met people in Rotherham, people who've come to this church, and I've said to them, why do you not come to church? And do you know what they say? I've been listening to Jacob Prash. I'm going to stay at home and listen to his tapes. Do you know who's most influenced by people like Jakob Prash? The Vulnerable. Do you remember, we, we, we don't, we, I don't like nicknames particularly, do you remember a, a chap we used to know as Tall Mick? One of the reasons he hasn't come to this church, amongst others, is because of Jakob Prash listening to his talks and Jakob Prash persuading him that the modern church is a waste of space. We've got a lot of vulnerable people in Rotherham and I've spoken to some of them and this name, Jakob Prass, keeps cropping up. Jakob Pras this, Jakob Prass that. Where is he? He's not here. Who is he? You, you can listen to him on the internet. I don't recommend it. The, the thing is with Jakob Prass, he's not accountable to anyone. Is he part of a church? Is he submitting to a team of elders who are guiding his ministry? He's a lone ranger. He sounds authoritative But who's he accountable to? He isn't leading people. He isn't inspiring people to knuckle down and get involved in a local church family. He's inspiring them to stay at home and not talk to anyone else. And listen to tapes off the internet. External influence that is not accountable. How many people do I meet in Rotherham who say, I don't need to go to church. I've watched so and so online. I've listened to this tape. I read this book. They're reading things. Who, who's telling you whether what you're reading is even any good? How can you grow as a Christian if you're not committed to a church family that cares for you? So many Christians think that they can live the Christian life by reading this book or that book or listening to this super guy on the internet. And none of these things encourage them to get plugged into a local church and involved and serve Jesus. let me um, talk about another thing uh, I have to be careful here because I know some of you uh, uh, including me I have dear friends who've been involved in things like this when I first came to Rotherham there was a thing in Rotherham called the town mission it was before I ever became a leader so I don't need to worry about it now what harm can it do for Christians to meet together on a Saturday night to pray in a fellowship together nothing wrong with that But some of you in this church have given me literature in the past written by men who ran those meetings. Much of that literature is based on what used to be called the Holiness Movement. It goes right back to the late 1800s. And it is not a balanced view of the Christian life. It isn't a view that engages with the world. It isn't a view that understands the struggle of Christian discipleship. It's a view that proclaims total victory. For those who submit to the spirit. And it harms people. Because total victory is not possible this side of heaven. It isn't. This life is a struggle. And if you found in your life total victory. Let me know. Because I haven't found it. Total victory. Is not a doctrine that you will find in the Bible. For Christian believers this side of heaven. But whether or not the man who was leading that work was teaching the truth or not, the fact is, it wasn't a church. And I know Christians who didn't go to any church. They just went to the town mission, fellowship with other Christians. But who was it accountable to? There was no balance. There's no pastoral care. Personally, Personally, I, I don't I don't actually feel comfortable with people going to other churches. There's nothing wrong with us cooperating and working with other churches. Rich and Joy and me went to the Christchurch Central staff meeting this very week. We have visitors who come here when they're in the area but I have to say as a leader in this church if there were people coming here who I knew were members in another church in Rotherham I would want to know why on what basis are you coming here are you coming here with the blessing of your leaders to support the work here or are you just coming because of the service is at a different time do your leaders know that you're coming here As a leader, I would be embarrassed if another leader said to me, why have you not said anything to the people who are coming from my church to yours? There's, There's questions to ask about that. Let me put some things to you. For me, how do your leaders know, as they care for you here, that what you're being taught elsewhere is good for you? How can your leaders here and your Christian friends here be sure that you don't become so enmeshed in other fellowships that it compromises your relationships with your Christian family here? How can your leaders here know that it doesn't dilute your energy for serving Christ in your own church family? How does it fit strategically with gospel growth in our area? If we're able to support another church that's perhaps weak, how should we approach that? And do it strategically and deliberately so it makes a difference both to us and to them. Does it matter? My point is that you've only got one bottom and you can't ride two bikes it doesn't work. If you had two bottoms, maybe you could, but I think if you're like me, you've only got one. Some Christians think they have ten bottoms and they're riding ten different bikes, and the leaders in individual churches have no idea whether they commit. It's yes, no, maybe. There's no accountability, there's no sense of discipline, there's no sense of true corporate commitment. Relationships between churches are fantastic but when they're ad hoc and let me move on number two what about this one single issues that dominate single issue obsessions rather that dominate there are some people who read books who who really think that they know it all And rather than submit to their church family, they are forever trying to change it. They can't understand why everyone else can't see what they have now come to see. They believe that they found the answer to world mission, church growth, revival. And if only the leaders in my church could see what I could see, this church would really take off. But they don't listen. They never do anything. They can't cope with disappointment. People like this often hop from church to church trying to find leaders who will listen to them. I think, I think secretly they just want to be leaders. They probably just should just be honest and set up a church of their own. There are some people who think the church is so impure that they would never consent to join it. If only people knew what I know, and if only they would listen to me, all their problems would go away. Do you know the kind of Christians who are always trying to give you a tape of certain speakers, or always trying to give you a book that is really, there's nothing wrong with sharing things, you know. But when, when it becomes a single issue obsession, some Christians are obsessed with the Holy Spirit. Some Christians are obsessed with the end times. Some Christians are obsessed with music. These are all important things. But when they become single issue obsessions and get all out of proportion and they become dominant and divisive. If you met people who have single issue obsessions, we've known people in Rotherham. I can think of one gentleman who you will know who has been to this church. We've had coffee mornings where we've had people who are not Christians coming as visitors and I tremble when this person sits next to them and within two minutes we're talking about conspiracy theories, end times Prince Charles being the Antichrist. Have you, can I give you a DVD to watch and do you know what, I, I said to this man, I don't want you to do that in this church, and do you know what he said to me outside, is it right for me to obey God or to obey you And I said, it's right for you to obey God, but I'd rather you do it somewhere else. I'm the pastor here in this church, and if you want to obey God and do that, do it somewhere else, because I love these people, and I don't want you to infiltrate their minds with nonsense. That isn't because I don't. I said to him, you're very welcome to come to this church, but please desist from disseminating stuff. There is a single issue obsession that dominates. Am I being hard? I don't know. I love you. And I don't want our church to be off balance. Number three. We've only got three. I said there could be hundred. What about this? Suspicious of any kind of organisation. These are the people who believe in house church. Hey, you've already said in the New Testament they didn't meet in churches for 300 years. After, Let's all meet together in each other's house with people we like. And let's keep all the nasty people who don't agree with us out. There's something going on here that's very subtle. Let's do it, because when we do that, there'll be freedom in the Spirit. We don't want to be inhibited by nasty organisational structures. These are the work of men. And when there's organisational structures, all it does is stifle the work of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes people like this will repeat the words of Jesus when he said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. But does that really mean that if you meet your pals at the bus stop, that's a church. Of course it doesn't. That isn't a church. Jesus isn't talking there about constituting a church just because you sit on a sofa with someone who's another Christian. This week alone, this week, since last Sunday that is, you know what a week is, since last week, this week past, I've heard the heartbreaking stories of two families near here not connected with church who have both decided that they need a sabbatical from church for a while we're just going to meet at home and trust the Holy Spirit what do do the leaders do with that more like we just want to drift along and not do anything for a while we just don't like church We're just going to meet at home. And it's incredible to me how spiritual these people sound. It amazes me how spiritual the language is of many Christians who justify not being plugged into a proper church and they they call it good. We're just following Jesus. You're not following Jesus. Jesus wants you to be plugged in to a local church. And if you're not doing that, you're being disobedient. I know I'm preaching to the choir but I I want to go on record saying these things so that you're protected as well. Why why does all this happen? Why is is Rotherham a nightmare? I've been here 20 years and it is painful. It is painful talking to Christians who do not understand what a church is or what church membership is. I think there are three things that are a struggle. Let me just give you another slide here. Going out into a perplexing world with the gospel is a struggle. Evangelism is hard. Did did someone tell you it was easy? Jesus said, I'm sending you out as sheep among what? Wolves. Wolves. Do you know what the glorious thing about the gospel is? When sheep go out among the wolves miraculously some of the wolves become sheep because God is a big God but it's not easy for a sheep to go out into the wolves is it? Evangelism is hard work another thing that's hard is getting on with people that you don't like or say eye to eye with nobody said that would ever be easy it's a struggle there are times when you'll go home from church and think why on earth did that person just say that to me? There are times where things will make you cry. It is, no one ever said that human relationships in this sin world would be a walk in the park. It won't be like that until you're in heaven. And all the nasty people in this world will live next door to you and you'll all get on like a house on fire. But not yet. It's hard sometimes to live... It. And the third thing is, if those two things were hard enough, coping with yourself... Coping with your own struggles, your own discipleship issues, your own hang-ups, background, whatever it is. I know what mine is. I'm a nightmare to live with. I have to live in this body all the time. I've got no escape from me. You can go home and leave me behind, but I can't leave myself behind. What a nightmare to have to struggle with your own Christian life, your own bad habits and difficulties and It's a nasty world out there, isn't it? Let's make a little isolated, peaceful little ghetto that's just made up of people like me. And all the nasty riffraff can be kept outside and we can have a little taste of heaven on earth. And let's just celebrate all that God has done for us but not be too serious about being holy because that will make us sad and miserable. Do you know why church is important? because Jesus commands us to face all these things and you can't do it on your own why is church important because Jesus always challenges you to face yourself with honesty to face other people with love and to face the challenge of reaching out to a lost world with courage and it's hard we need one another and we need to spy out the things sometimes good legitimate things that have become a substitute for doing these things Sometimes what we're doing, all the other things I've described, really, when it boils down to it, are avoidance strategies from facing this. Does that make sense to you? I don't really want to face myself, so I'm going to do X, Y and Z. I don't really want to face other people who are difficult, so I'm going to do this instead. I don't really want to face nasty people in the world with the gospel, so I'm going to do this instead. All of the things we've said are avoidance strategies. And I I want to ask, where are the leaders who can stand up and be counted and who cope when a wheel falls off and who don't take the church down a cul-de-sac on a single issue but who keep on prophetically calling the church to just do the basics for Jesus' sake. We don't want leaders who are superstars We don't want leaders who are empire builders. We just need leaders who can cope with reality and not be stupid. I read one leader this week and he said this, if you don't have a conceptual ideal of what church should be, you shouldn't be in ministry. But if that's all you have, you won't last in ministry. Do you get that? If, if, if your leaders don't have a vision of what church should be, they shouldn't be doing the job they're doing. But if that's all they have, they won't last two minutes. Because I'll tell you what, it's hard. We've had people come and go in this church. I thank God that you're all still here. <laughs> it amazes me. But the reasons people give for leaving a church are incredible you're too narrow and you oppress women and homosexuals other people have said to me you're too open and you've allowed people who are not Christians to take communion he's right some people have said to me it's not exciting enough here other people have left and said it's way too dynamic for me here some people have said to me you're too reformed You believe once saved, always saved. Jacob Prash doesn't believe that. Other people have said to me, you're not reformed enough. Some people have said to me, you're too disorganised. Other people have left and said, you're just trying to run your church like you run your business. Some people have said, you haven't cared for me enough. Other people have said, you're way too intrusive, leave me alone. Some people have said you're too emotional. Other people have said you're too intellectual. Some people have said you're greedy for power. Other people have said you're not decisive enough. I'll tell you what, in this job, you can't win. Can I say this? I don't actually really give a monkeys, <laughs> personally. But what really breaks my heart, and, I, and, I, and I'm not joking when I say that, what really breaks my heart is what, is what a shallow view of church Christian people have. Can I can I say something to you? I didn't invent church. Jesus invented it, and all I am is an under shepherd. And really, I'm, I'm not doing this because I get some sort of kudos from it. I'd be mad by now if I was relying on this to define my life. I could do any one of hundreds of things if I wanted kudos. there are are plenty of people who look at what I'm doing and say to me Ian you are barking mad I probably am as well but I love Jesus and I believe that the church is a huge deal it is a great privilege it is is Jesus' idea not mine and he has designed it for your good and for your health If you are dating the church instead of actually making a covenant commitment to it you will not be a healthy Christian. Can I say that again? If you are simply dating the church instead of making a covenant commitment to it you will not be a healthy Christian. If you are a commitment phobe in this area Yes, no, maybe. Your Christian life will wither. You will probably persuade yourself that you're right. But you won't really bear any fruit. Have I been serious enough? (laughs) Oh, I'm really sorry. I hate being serious, as you know. This has got to be said though, hasn't it? I, it, it, it? I cannot tell you how much it breaks my heart when Christian people who should know better have a low view of the church that Jesus invented. This is not about me. I could be gone tomorrow. This is about Jesus and his invention. Why would you join a church then? Time's gone. We'll have to rattle through this quick, sharp. Quick, sharp. Are you all late and awake? Maybe not. Have a little stretch. Stand up, sit down. Why join a church? There is a sense, if you talk about church membership, you'll put people off. You know, it just sounds wrong and authoritarian. If If you want to empty a church, talk about church membership. And people will run a mile. But it is really crucial, as I've said. I want you to understand what Jesus is calling, to you, calling you to when he calls you to be his disciple. Joining a church will not and cannot make you a Christian any more than any other kind of good works, education, morality, baptism, the money you give, your friends none of these things can make you a Christian only Jesus can make you a Christian if you're not a Christian you shouldn't seek to join a church I I still want you to come because I want you to know what it means to be a Christian and for you to become one do you understand that? so keep coming so you can learn and then you can find what we're talking about in trusting Jesus But for those of you who are Christians, who are following Jesus, what does it mean for you to live the Christian life? Can you do it on your own? Is it just just a matter of living up to your own virtues? Maybe you know instinctively I should be part of a church. I know I should be in relationship with other people. So I'll I'll join a Bible study group or I'll get together with some old school friends and we'll which Christians are you called to relate to is it just the people who are like you the church listen the church is for everyone it's not a subgroup it's not like you've got a church for gardeners and a church for old people and a church for this subgroup and that subgroup the church of Jesus is for everyone someone said at the beginning didn't they The church is full of people from all different walks of life. Amen to that. The thing that binds us together is not our shared interests, but our love for Jesus. So the church is made up of Christian believers who commit themselves to Christ and then in covenant relationship to one another. Not because it's a therapy group or to work on a project, It's much, much bigger than that. It's because we're all in Christ. So let me give you five reasons very quickly. We're not going to dwell on these because time's uh, going. Five reasons why you should join a church and become a member if you're a Christian. Number one, to assure yourself. One of the greatest problems we have in life I think, is the fact that it's so easy to deceive ourselves, isn't it? Jesus was always telling people to search their hearts. He said to some people, don't think that because you say, Lord, Lord, that you're a Christian. There are some people who say, Lord, Lord, and on that day, in the future, judgment day, Jesus will say, I never knew you. Jesus was constantly warning people to avoid hypocrisy and not to fall into a trap of pretending to be a Christian when they weren't. You can kid anyone, as long as they don't get to know you too closely. You can be a lone ranger and hide in the shadows a bit. But you can't really be plugged into a community... And hard as well. When we join a church, we're really saying, I'm serious about following Jesus. I want to be a part of a church family where I have friends who will do two things for me. First of all, they will encourage me when they see God at work in my life. They'll say to me, Do you know what? You've changed this year. God, I can see evidence of God's Spirit being at work in your life. Isn't that amazing? But the second thing they'll do for you is they'll challenge you when they see things in your life that you need to deal with. That's a dual purpose, isn't it? To encourage you and to challenge you. And do you know what? We all need that together, corporately. This is a community that will hold me accountable and will help me to be what God wants me to be. If you're serious about following Jesus, what do you have to be afraid of in that? In joining the church, we are linking arms with each other and saying, "I want to know my brothers and sisters and to be known by them." We're agreeing to help one another, encourage one another, and to make sure that what we say matches how we live. Listen to these words: A true Christian builds his life into the lives of other Christians through the concrete fellowship of a local church. He knows that he's not yet arrived. He's still fallen. And he needs the accountability and instruction of that local body of people called the church. And they need him. We need to give up trying to live the Christian life on our own. It isn't biblical. It is biblical to join hands with others and to agree together to follow Jesus. That is why church hopping never works. Because it's an avoidance of this. You can't assure yourself by jumping around and dating other churches. You need to be committed to one church so that you can grow together. Some of you, you want to be part of a church, but you really don't want to be known. Sometimes in churches, people come at one minute to 11 and leave during the last hymn. We don't really have this, but why is that? They don't want to meet people. They don't want to to hear God's word, but I don't want to engage with people. It's embarrassing. Listen, the Christian life is not just about you. It's being part of a family who love you and know you and who you love them. And Jesus intends you to be committed. You can't be really happy as a Christian unless you take that seriously. Secondly, why join a church? To evangelise the world. Another reason you should join a church is for the sake of Taking the gospel out to a lost world. Together we can do things that we couldn't do on our own. We can do it by our words as we share the good news of Jesus. And we can do it by our actions as we love people in our community. A local church is not a museum for saints. It's a rescue station for people who are lost. The church exists in part to make Jesus known to others. The church makes the gospel visible to people. The gospel that has changed us and reorientated our lives is made attractive to other people as they see it, making a difference to how we live together. My dream is for other people to see how utterly great Jesus is what power and hope and joy and peace there is in following him the church exists to display that to the world and on a similar vein number three to demonstrate the gospel this is important as well If I was to say to you, what do most people think about the church? I think a lot of people think that Christians are just self-righteous do-goodies. who think they're better than everyone else. Most non-Christians think that church is only for good people who've got their lives sorted. And so they don't go because they might feel inferior. Mark Dever Tells a story of visiting one of his elderly relatives in China that he was thinking of going into ministry and becoming a preacher. It didn't go very well. She said to him, I can't believe you're going to be a preacher. I've given up on all that disorganised all that disorganised. I've given up on all that organised religion. Church this is what she said, churches are just pits of vipers. And Mark Devil went, Really? She went, Yeah. And then he said to her, Do you think the world outside is much better and she said well no but at least they know they're vipers and Mark Dever said this you might be surprised to hear that I agree with you and that churches are filled with vipers but the difference is I don't think the world really knows they're vipers but Christians do and that's why they come we know that we're vipers and we need help God's help God's grace we're only saved and changed by that when you feel like you've failed and guilt kicks in and you look at other people and think they've no idea how hard I find all this and then you think to yourself one Sunday I'm not going to church today I'm tired and I feel like a hypocrite do you know what you're doing? you're falling for the same lie that church is only for people who are sorted you're falling for the lie that church is only about your behaviour it isn't it's about Jesus all we can ever bring to church really is our sins It, it can only be God's love that saves us Jesus has come And lived the perfect life that we couldn't, died the death that we deserve. And the thing that saves us is not our morality, but Jesus, who gave his life for sinners. When you display your confidence in that, church becomes a place where sinners find forgiveness and space to grow and together as a church family we expose the lie that Christianity is about pulling your socks up it isn't about pulling your socks up it's about believing in Jesus join a church that preaches that gospel and be committed to it and let others know that they're welcome to come too so that they can hear the same message that you've come to know And they can change as well. Why join a church? To assure yourself, to evangelise the lost world, and to live out the gospel of God's grace. Fourthly, to build each other up. Um, All the way through the Bible, there's this idea that God made people for community. And the Bible teaches that how you relate to other people is really a measure, in a way, of your own spiritual maturity. You, you can't really claim to be a Christian and not love other people in a committed way. John, the disciple of Jesus, said, You, you can't say that you know God's love and not love your brothers and sisters. And this is why, if, you, if you're claiming to be a Christian... What you're really saying is, God loves me with an everlasting, unconditional, extravagant love. He has forgiven all my sins. He's lavished his kindness on me. He's welcomed me with open arms into his family, even though I don't deserve the smallest of his kindness. But I don't like other people. <laughs> what a ridiculous inconsistency that is I'll come to church but I'm I'm not going any further than that I don't want to be committed listen, your calling if you're a Christian is to love one another if you refuse to join a church you're just sailing your own little ship round in circles perhaps you sail in when you feel like it you sail out when you feel like it if it's a bit windy you stay at home and put your boat in the garage <laughs> it's like that isn't love. That wouldn't do in any other walk of life or relationship, would it? You couldn't, you couldn't be in a marriage like that. I'll sail in when I feel like it, I'll sail out when I feel like it. It, it is just bog standard selfishness. The Bible teaches that one of the great blessings of a church is that believers are called to care and to show concern for one another. This is one of the signs that you've been saved. Even though we do it so imperfectly, some of us have put our foot in our mouths and, and yet we're absolutely committed to each other for Jesus' sake. Mark Dever had a friend who deliberately came to church after the songs and then left during the last song. Mark Dever called him one day and he said, have you ever thought about joining the church? And this man said, no, people will just slow me down. <laughs> Mark Devers said, have you ever considered the fact that God wants you to link arms with your brothers and sisters so that even though they might slow you down, you might actually speed them up? No one joins a church because they have no problems and just want to help everyone else, do they? We all have problems. I have problems. Some of them you don't want to know. You have problems but God is a great God. He is at work in your hearts, in my heart, often through one another. It just will not do for Christians who claim the name of Christ to be self-centered and individualistic. God is not just concerned about how much you read the Bible at home, but how do you treat other people? Are you committed to investing your life in the lives of others and are you committed to allowing them to invest their lives in your life? Ian read to us earlier from Hebrews chapter ten. Did you see that lattice passage? Hebrews chapter ten Let us let us draw near to God. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. Not going to a church is not a new thing. It was right there in the first century. Let us not give up the habit of meeting together like some do. But let us encourage one another. Being a member of a church is an opportunity to grab hold of one another and inspire one another. When you become a member of a church, what you're really saying is, I want everyone to know that I'm serious about this. I am pledging myself to be consistent in my praying, in my giving, in my serving. If you see me drifting off, challenge me. Let's do this together. When you're a member of a church, it's not like them and us. The church is you. It is yours. Things are your responsibility. You're not a consumer shopping around for the best deal. You're part of the family. Church membership is not like a loose affiliation when it suits. But it's a lifestyle of being committed to other people for the sake of the gospel. Do you love Jesus? Do you love his people? And are you committed to give Him whatever it takes to build one another up? Church is a glorious thing. We can help each other when we're tempted. We can study together so that we grow. We can sing together God's praises. We can pray together. We encourage one another and share in each other's struggles. Jesus said to his disciples, this is my command. Love each other as I have loved you and one of those disciples who heard that the first time later wrote dear children let us not love with words or tongue but with actions and in truth will you link arms with your fellow Christian believers and build up the church yes no or maybe I said there were five. One more, very quickly. Don't want to mess this one off. To glorify God. The God who forgives sins, who changes lives. The God who is worthy of our devotion and praise. Isn't it incredible that our puny lives can actually bring glory to God? Jesus said, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. When we live in a committed church family, we bring glory to our Heavenly Father. We make Him look great. We can't make Him great. He is great. But we can make Him look as great as He really is. When we trust Him and love Jesus and love one another. there are many things that will frustrate you about church maybe especially this one the leaders may let you down things might not go as you planned other people might drive you nuts but the issue is whether you will be a part of it rather than being a spectator who's just keeping your options open if you're a Christian you should join a church nail your colours to the mast and say to everyone else I love Jesus and I love you and I want you to love me I think time's gone so we're going to leave it there I've got about three hours more worth of material to go through but we'll Try and pick up with that perhaps next week. Let's pray, shall we? Our gracious, glorious, almighty Father in heaven, we thank you so much that you care for us as individuals. We thank you so much that you know how we're formed. You know that we are fragile you know Lord all our fears, hopes, dreams, anxieties we thank you Lord that you have sent Jesus to be our saviour that you have brought us into your family we thank you that you have filled us with your Holy Spirit we thank you that you have given us a destiny that is beyond even our wildest dreams and we thank you That you have given us the enormous privilege of being part of a church family like this one. Lord help us not to play at being church. Help us to take seriously the, the privilege and the responsibilities of being part of a church like this. We pray Lord that you would help us to love and follow Jesus. And to love and serve one another. Help us, Lord, not to be commitment-phobes. Help us, Lord, to gladly, willingly, wholeheartedly submit ourselves to Jesus and submit ourselves to one another. Lord, we pray, we pray, we earnestly cry to you that our church would be healthy and not a shadow of what it's meant to be. We pray, Lord, that this church would be, it would indeed be, a little taste of heaven on earth bless as we pray encourage and inspire our hearts we pray that you would help us to face ourselves with honesty to face one another with love and to face a lost world with courage as we work together and serve you here in this place we ask it for jesus sake amen